Hey, before I give this message, I want to tell you a couple dreams I had that I think is really from the Lord. The first one, uh, this is in the last couple of days I've had these dreams. I've been ha- Anybody having dreams lately? I mean, I've been having some really deep dreams and uh, not in the normal dreams, but then I realized they were God speaking to me uh, in a different way, which is awesome. But the, this one dream I had, I was at a baseball game with Bill Johnson the pastor of Bethel Church in California, who also is like the apostolic leader of the, the last big move of God that happened in the, in the United States. And so we're, in, uh, if you don't know him, just look him up on the internet and don't read the bad stuff. <laughs> it's all good. But it, we were at a baseball game, which he is a baseball fan, and uh, this report came to him that a team of people from his church went out and went to a church and really made a big mess in this church and really dishonored this church. And uh, he wasn't bothered by it. And uh, I was sort of surprised about it. And like, man, you're not bothered. He said, well, we're going to make it right. We'll make this right. Uh, we're going to make them go back and apologize. And, and of course, I'll, I'll apologize and we'll make it right with them. And that was the end of the dream. And I was asking the Lord, Lord, what does this dream mean? And he said this. He said... Uh, People make things about themselves. So you can make the good things about yourself, the God things, or you can make bad things about yourself. Either way, you're going to be wrong, what the Lord told me. In other words, sometimes we take responsibilities and take things serious, too seriously. They're not about you, is what the Lord's saying. That's, it's not about you. Okay? And I think when we release this thing from things, when we take things and we take them upon ourselves, when we will stop doing that, it gives God really an opportunity to really move in our life in a big way. And I really immediately thought about sometimes when I took things really, took them personal. Uh, Like when the roof broke in the church, I took it so personal, you know, that it was hard for God to really speak to me because I was making it about all about me. Okay, and so if you make the bad things about you, you're going to make the things that God does about you. And then you're going to be just always messed up, and God's not going to be able to speak. So I really want to encourage you in your life, whatever it is, just find out what you're making about you and let go of it, good or bad, and let go of it so God can, can work in your life in a more freer way, and you can really enjoy the life that God's given you and not be messed up all the time. Amen? That's a really good word. Um, Lord, help me right now. Okay. Um, the other dream was... I'm thinking about how to properly say this. The other dream. Maybe I won't share the other dream right now. Uh, you want to share it for me, Becky? The one I shared with you this morning? You share it. Come here and share it for me. I don't remember it good enough. You don't remember good enough? What did I tell you? Yeah, now this is actually important. In this dream, uh, I was with Jesus, and we were going to minister to some people, okay? And there was a line, it was like a prayer line, and all of a sudden, almost every other person started manifesting demons. And I was thinking, oh, man, these people are, this is, I don't want to mess with this. I don't want to mess with these demons. And this is what the Lord said. What those people need is joy. 
And when he said that, I got the joy of the Lord come all over me. And I and once I got the joy of the Lord, the, all these people who were having these demonic issues, they got free. Isn't that powerful? And the Lord said to me in the dream is, is uh, the enemy is able to get into your life because of the sorrow of this world. Okay? There's sorrow in this world and there's sorrowful things that are going on. And we can, we can take everything so seriously about what's going on and get so heavy about the world. And thinking that we're being spiritual about it, that we're actually creating a demonic stronghold in our life where the enemy begins to have access to us, whether it be in your family. It's not helping your family for you to be all heavy and miserable, is it? Is it, is it helping the United States for the church to be all miserable about what's going on? No, it, what would help the world is what helped the world when Jesus came was the joy of the Lord. Amen. And God really wants a joyful people, and I believe that's going to set captives free, and we don't even have to do anything. That was what was so beautiful about the dream. I didn't even have to pray for nobody because God did it just because his joy got released, and it was interesting. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he was full of joy himself, but nobody was getting delivered because he was full of joy. They got delivered when I got full of joy, okay, right? God is not bypassing us. He wants us as part of his equation in the earth, okay? He's not going just like, I'm going to go free everybody and leave you out of it. No, actually, I sent you to do this. It's like he sent Jesus. He makes, you know, he could obviously do that, right, easily. He doesn't need us, but he's chosen to use us. And he wants to fill us with joy, especially in this season, you know, that, you know, there's all these concerns and things that are legitimate concerns. So I just want to encourage you to ask the Lord to give you his joy. Because the joy in the, in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. In the presence of the Lord. And that's how you get joy is you get in God's presence. And it says that he was anointed, anointed with the oil of joy above his fellows, above the people he was in fellowship with, right? Above the, and that oil drips down upon us as we put, align ourselves. You know, the other scripture the Lord gave me on that first dream was about Martha and Mary. You know, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about so many things, but only one thing is important. You're worried and troubled. And if you're worried and troubled about many things today, God has an answer for you. It's joy. Amen. And don't take it to, don't take everything on yourself. It's not about you. It's not about you. Don't make it about you. When you make it about you, good or bad, you're in trouble. Amen. So when your kids get messed up, okay, it's not about you as a parent. I mean, I know that's how parents are to get all flipped out and think, oh, I just failed and, you know, all oh, my kids, you know, I'm a terrible parent. And, you know, I've told myself a million times, well, God had a couple kids, you know, and they got all messed up. Was God a terrible parent, you know? <laughs> no. And so, what we, and so we take this thing on us. And then we start, we can't really speak. Minister the, to our kids very good because we're always all about us, about how we failed, and, and we're trying to act like we were helping them. We are trying to help them, but this other thing's coloring what we're doing. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's defiling what you're doing, trying to really help them get free because you have this personal stake in it, okay? A stake in it that you've gone too far. You've stepped over the line. You hear what I'm saying to you? And you can put that, you can take that and apply it on any level. You know, that's why leaders in, in the church and in business, in businessmen, they get control and they want to control everything because it's about them. And when things go bad, they don't want to look bad. 
you know. And that was the beautiful thing in that dream about Bill Johnson. It didn't bother him that this could make him look terrible. It's not about me. I didn't do it. It's not about me. This is about, this is about God. God gets the glory and the devil gets the, the blame. You know, we'll make it right on our part. So, anyways, praise the Lord. The Lord's good, isn't he? Yes, Lord. Well, it's still only a quarter after ten. I took seven minutes on that. Yep. Eleven. Quarter after eleven. No, it's not, Dean. Look at the clock up there. All right, so I'm just going to shift gears now and try to do this. Um, so here's here's the thing. I want to... Uh, tell you first about something I read recently that reminds me a lot of Christians and like myself, all of us really in the church. And Ken, what are you doing back there? <laughs> Fixing that clock. <laughs> he wants me to hurry up. <laughs> That's a subtle hint. Anyways, there's a dam over in Iraq called Mog- the Mogul Dam. Anybody ever heard of that dam over there? Mogul? Is it Mogul? Okay, this is a, a, a very big, huge dam that was built years ago under Saddam Hussein when he was the leader of Iraq. And uh, I was reading about this dam because they've become very concerned about this dam uh, breaking, okay, because, you know, uh, this town where this dam was located was actually taken over by ISIS for a while. And... Uh, and they took over everything, and then finally they got it back. But through, but it's interesting. The dam, the foundation, what the dam was built on, it was it was built on this rock that's called gypsum rock, which is, it seems insane to me that they would do this. But they didn't. The gypsum rock is is a very porous rock. Okay, in other words, it can water can leak down into the rock. And as the water leaks down into it, it can create, you know, the pores can actually become larger. And, you know, like what water will do to anything, if it pours over it, through it or over around it long enough, it will erode it away. Well, that's what really has happened to this dam. They, you know, they built this and they thought this rock would last longer than it would, than they thought it would. I mean, it was supposed to be, when they did the research on it, this was, they didn't, obviously weren't very smart. I'm glad the United States didn't do this. Another country actually built this dam. And, but once they got it built, they realized this rock, you know, is, is really unstable, and it could cause this dam to collapse. So they developed this stuff to, to pump down into the rock to stabilize it. And they were constantly doing this. They had like 300 men that worked them 24-hour, seven-day-a-week shifts, keeping, you know, maintaining the, the, the foundation of this dam. That is, until ISIS came in and took over. And then it basically all stopped. And now that they got it back, they, you know, most of the equipment they were using is, is gone, and they have like 30 men trying to keep this dam from you know, the, the foundation of the dam from eroding away and the dam breaking. And they say if this dam suddenly broke, the potential is for up to one and a half million people to be killed. Up to one and a half million. So it's like a this major concern in the world that we don't hear about, but it's, it's a true concern. And the thing that I feel 
uh, the reason I'm bringing that is I feel like a lot of times in our in our Christian in our, in our Christian lives is we we have a foundation. We all have a foundation under us, okay. Um, but I feel like sometimes we've tried to build our Christian lives on a foundation, sort of like this dam. We thought it was a good foundation. We thought it was a rock. We thought it was solid. But we find out later in our life that it wasn't so good. And you see that in every area of life. You see businesses that, become, that are prosperous for a while, and then suddenly they'll collapse. And, and if you study reason, a lot of them collapses businesses, governments, nations, churches, uh, ministries is because something was wrong in their foundation. They had a there was an issue in their foundation. It's not good enough just to say, "Well, I'm saved. My foundation is on Christ." That is not that is not the whole deal there. Okay, that's not everything. So there's many been a many a good Christian people who who've built a Christian life and later in life fallen fallen away or committed some kind of terrible sin. Why? Why did they do that? They didn't suddenly one day become a bad person. Suddenly they just didn't change their mind and become bad and become, you know, naughty or, or criminal-minded. It was because there was something missing in their foundation. And over time, over the wear and tear of time, their fa- the foundation they did have was eroded away slowly but surely. And eventually there was this great collapse. That's what Jesus said would happen. When in, at the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, If you hear my words and obey them, you're like a man who built his house on the rock. And the storms won't be able to blow that house down. But if, if you don't hear my words and don't obey them, your house will be like a man who built their house on the sand. It looks good. It, everything looks okay because you don't really see the foundation. But the storms of life, the time and temperature and pressure of life will eventually tell on everybody. It'll eventually tell on every person in this room. And I feel like what God has been speaking to me about is that He wants to build up the church. He wants to build us up. He wants to expand the body of Christ. He wants Christians to be built up in this time. He wants us to be able to to expand our influence and our reach. He wants to do more with us. How many people would love that? But if we don't, fortify our foundations, if we don't have a sure foundation under us, then Him doing all that could be one of the worst things that ever happened to us. You see what I'm saying to you? We're crying out, God move in the earth, bring revival to our church, but there's been, history proves there's churches that are destroyed by revival. They're destroyed by, history proves it over and over. Why? Because they didn't have a good foundation to bear to bear what God wanted to bear, for the church to bear. And so what we had to do is we had to begin to ask ourselves these questions. We had to ask ourselves about our own foundation. I think from we should look at our foundation. It's like in a, in a house that's building a good foundation. From time to time, maybe something happened where they had to go and check the foundation. Uh, I remember once when Hurricane Hugo came a long time ago. A lot of people might not even been born then. I was older, had children, you know. And there was a house in our neighborhood they became concerned about because they felt like the house was moved off the foundation, you know, which meant that it had to condemn the house. Fortunately, it was that, but they did have to go and work on the foundation. I'll tell you, a lot of people in this, I've seen a lot of people do this. We try, this is what we try to do. We try to build our lives. We try to build, we try to make things foundational that are not foundational. Okay, we try to make something be a foundation in our life that's not meant to be. In other words, in your house, 
you have some type of flooring in your house, right? It's going to be made out of wood or concrete or something, correct? There is not a person in this room that has a glass floor in their house as a floor to walk on because you use glasses and windows, not floors. You get the point. So we take things, things of God, awesome things, and try to put them in a place in our life that they don't belong. And I'll tell you one of those things that we do that we're real guilty of is we try to make revival and moves of God foundations. And they're like, they're like a window for us. And we're, we're foolish when we do that. That's what happens to these churches that collapse after God's move is over with. That's what happens with Christians after God's move is done. They fall away. Why? There's something wrong with that picture. It's not because God's move was a bad thing. It was because they tried to build their life on something that was not meant to be built on. You can't build on wind. You can't build on water. You can't build on fire. You use those things to accelerate you into your purposes and have the things that God has for you. Are y'all following this? Now, this is critical. If you're going to be used by God, if God is going to expand your influence and help you fulfill your dreams, it's critical to have a foundation, the right foundation under you. Are you following this? I mean, I think this is really, well, it's important to me. Okay? So... Thank you, Lord. Let me read this. I read this last week. So what I was thinking about is all the the things that Jesus said and did as being like important things for us to put our focus on as a foundation for us and and allowing that. And uh, I think, you know, in the book of Acts, in Acts 1, you have the last time that Jesus was on the earth before he went to heaven, right? And then what happened? The day of Pentecost happened, and the church was birthed. It was birthed on something, it was, and it rested on something. And a big part of what it rested on was what Jesus talked about in the 40 days during his time on earth after he was resurrected. Right? I mean, that's what he was talking about. That's what he wanted to leave with people was these words that he gave. And, you know, last week I talked about you know, it says, let me just read this uh, just so I can have some biblical stuff here. It says, the, Acts 1, 1 through 3, The former account I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit had given commandment to, to the apostles whom he had chosen and to whom he had also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. By many infallible you were here last week that was a real issue for us to realize that God wants that was important that those people and it's important for us today to know that Christ is alive that's important that's really important because if you take that one thing away everything goes away so that really is something you build on you build on the fact that Jesus Christ is alive and if that's not a reality in your life if that's just something, oh, yeah, I, I believe that. We've got to go beyond just believing something on the surface to being convinced of it. You know, you get that. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, that's what Paul said, or I'm persuaded is another word. You know, I said all that last week. That's kind of a rerun, right? But it's really, I think there's levels of belief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You go from that to other levels, and then there's this, I'm persuaded. 
A man who's persuading and convinced about something, that's when you know something's happened in their life. That's when you know something's happened. But when you're, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, you know, that's a little bit of an unstable place. Being seen by them during 40 days, and this is the thing, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Speaking of the things, you know, I have some Kleenexes with me. Becky wants me to quit feeling around my pocket looking for my Kleenexes. So, if you think about it, in the 40 days, it's kind of allergy season, right? You know, you need Kleenexes. At least I do. In the 40 days after Jesus was raised, he talked about the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, think about it like this. This guy was dead for four, three days. He was in the grave. Okay, and then he came alive. He could have talked about a lot of things. I'm sure if we had a person that had been dead for three days, we would want to know some stuff, right? Like, what was heaven like? What was God like? What, hey, tell me about angels. Tell me about the, we, you know, there, Jesus could have said a lot of stuff about all that, but he didn't. He didn't talk about that. He talked about the kingdom of God. That's what he chose to talk about. He chose to talk about what was important, not what was, well, you can find out what heaven's like when you get there or you get it here. But this is what you need to know now. You need to know about the kingdom. The kingdom of God. So he talked to them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. And if you go on and read through the book of Acts and get to the end, where Paul sort of takes over about midway through the book of Acts, and takes over meaning it focuses on him, is the last thing it says about Paul was he was in a rented house as a prisoner of Rome uh, talking about the kingdom of God and the things concerning Jesus Christ. So you see, the book of Acts begins with Jesus talking for 40 days. That's all he wanted to talk about, the kingdom of God. And the book of Acts ends with Paul as a prisoner. The last things he'd be talking about in life was the kingdom of God and the things that concern Jesus Christ. And so this is really important that we would just really see that this is on God's heart mightily. He could have talked about so many other things. There's a book that I discovered I, I like books about preaching, okay? In my, you know, every preacher should be reading books about preaching, right? Or something, you know, trying to be a better preacher. You know, so far it hasn't helped me none, but, <laughs> but I am interested. So I found this book called The Master Preacher. I thought, wow, that's the book I need to read. I need to be a master preacher, you know? And the book was by a man named A.R. Bond, Unfortunately, the book was published in 1910. <laughs> it's an old book. You can't get the book no more in its original form. I actually bought one where they reprinted it, but it was like uh, I got the book and thought, I paid 30 bucks for this book I can't read because it was like three or four columns per page and like at number eight font. And had some, misp- you know, it's like, uh, I can't read this. Okay? But the book, they did say, you know, we realize it's not easy to read, but you- so we give you this little number. You can go on this website and get a PDF version that's readable. <laughs> so I'm, why did I get this book? I, get, I needed that number. But Mr. Bond was a Baptist preacher, a country Baptist preacher who dedicated his life to studying Jesus. That's what he was. Yes, very awesome. 
And this is amazing. This is an amazing book when he talks about, he goes all through about how Jesus preached, what he preached about, how he ministered. It's amazing when you begin to study how, what Jesus do, did and what the church does today. There's a disconnect somewhere. You know, we've gotten lost, but this is, these are the main, he had seven main themes according to Mr. Bond. And the first one was the kingdom of God. That was his main theme that he preached most about, Jesus. He also preached a lot about God the Father, which is beautiful, isn't it? it? God the Father. That's important these days, right? That's a a fresh revelation coming on that. For the world is knowing God as the Father. There's a cry in the world that's starting to emerge. Uh, You know, Jesus declared, or John 14, it says, Show us the Father, and it's enough. Well, that... Is every person's cry. I'm just going to just diverge on that just for a minute. That's every human being's cry, whether they're aware of that cry or not, is to see the Father, to know the Father. Uh, and that's what Philip said to the Lord. Show us the Father and that will be enough. All our questions will be answered. And God has done a lot for us in that realm over the years. But there's another wave of revelation of God the Father. But I believe we're going to, it's because the people of the world are going to be crying for that revelation. They're going to become more conscious of their need of the Father. And that's why it's important for us to be able to have this revelation burning in our heart that we can impart it to people that don't have it. Amen? That's something important. Uh, The next thing he talked about was eternal life. That was really important. Self-denial. Don't you love that? Jesus talked a lot about self-denial. I'm sorry, y'all. You know, oh, here's another one that you will get blistered in some circles if you talk about sin and righteousness. But Jesus talked a lot about sin and righteousness. Perhaps not like the church has talked about sin and righteousness. I don't think we've approached that right. But he did talk about it a lot because it's an important topic. And another big topic for, of Jesus was love. Isn't that beautiful? And another one, his last major topic was his death and resurrection. He focused a lot on that, is talking about his death and resurrection. So I think it's important that we really keep these kind of things in our mind um, when we, you know, what are we thinking about? What are we focusing on? What's, What's really important? What are we building our lives on? See, that's, that's what the church really needs to start thinking about now. What are we building around? What revelations are we pursuing God for? Are we pursuing God about some revelation, about some exotic experience? That's not something you can build your life on. Let me make the point again. Jesus could have talked about exotic experiences when he came back and talked for 40 days, but he didn't. He talked about the kingdom of God. That's what we need to be building our lives on. Now, if you think about the kingdom of God, I'm going to give you some things. It's, it's a really a difficult topic, actually, because uh, the way, if you look at the way Jesus taught the kingdom of God, was he used a lot of stories or what the Bible, you know, people call parables. He used stories a lot. You know, Matthew thinks the kingdom of God is like a, tr- a mustard seed that grew up and became a great tree, and, and, and birds came on it. That was his story. About, that was one of his pictures of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman put in dough. And it just spread out. That's a story he was trying because the kingdom concept is not something you can just make a definition of this is what the kingdom is and it's going to change your life. It won't. Jesus knew that. So he used many illustrations. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. 
The kingdom of God is like a treasure in the field. The kingdom of God is like a big net that was thrown into the sea. The kingdom of God was like a seed a man planted. And then his enemy came and planted some more seed in his seed. And bad seed came up and good seed came up at the same time. And then the angels are the ones who separated. I, one of my favorite stories is once we had some bad people in the church. <laughs> Maybe not now. Is anybody bad this morning? <laughs> Anyways, this person in the church came to me, was complaining about these bad, bad people and wanted to remove them from the church. And I said, well, we can't do that. That's, he said, why can't you? I said, that's not my job. That's the angels' jobs. Where do you see that in the Bible? <laughs> I gave him that parable. You know, the church does ridiculous things. It says they grew up together. And then at the end of the age, the Lord sorts things out. It's not our job to sort things out. We should be happy bad people come to the church. It keeps them in here where we can watch them where, you know, where they can't out doing bad stuff to people. And we'll make sure they don't do bad stuff to people in here. Anyways, the kingdom of God always provokes questions. That's why Jesus spoke like that. He, he wanted people to... To think beyond the surface, to think beyond just a mere definition of the kingdom. He wanted them to really go deeper, those who had a hunger and a heart, to go deeper. That's why he told parables. A lot of people think that Jesus told parables to explain things. He really didn't. He doesn't say that. He said the purpose of parables was to hide it just for casual people. The purpose of parables was for those who it was given to, that they would realize there's something in this. And it makes me hungry to find out what that is. That's what, his per- that's what Jesus' stated purpose of parables was. It was for the people who felt a draw when they heard what he was talking about, even though they couldn't really understand it all, and they would pursue it on their own, and God would begin to reveal. Because that's what the disciples did. Hey, what did that mean? They would ask him, what did that mean? And he would privately tell them. He would explain it to them. And that's what we're supposed to be doing when we hear stuff. Lord, what does this mean? And pursue him, and he will be glad to open his heart up and begin to explain things to us on a deeper level if we'll take the time. If we don't, we'll just keep going, and we won't really get what he's trying to tell us. Are y'all okay? Yeah. So anyways, Jesus, here he is, Jesus, in Acts 1, verse 6. He's, here he is at the end of life, and here's what the disciples said to him after he had talked to them for 40 days about the kingdom. Okay, this is their question. Uh, when, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So, see, think about it. They had been with Jesus for, for the whole time he talked about the kingdom of God. All these parables, they sat there and heard it all. They sat there for 40 days after he had been resurrected from the dead. And they're still missing the point. They're still not getting it. They're still asking a question about the kingdom. Do y'all get this? So you see, even they, they had benefited from, from the greatest teacher on earth. Sit under him. Sit under his anointing. They even went out and preached the gospel of the kingdom and saw miracles. But at the end of it, they still didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. That really should bother you. That they didn't get it. Because I would think, they should have got it. They should have really gotten this. Why did they ask such a stupid question? Because to me, that was a dumb question in light of everything that they had heard from him. Because he never talked about the kingdom of God being restored to Israel. 
He, Jesus didn't talk about that. that. That came from an Old Testament thing. He was talking about the kingdom of God being inside of you. That's what he talked about. But see, they, they, they really couldn't get it. Of course, some of it had to do with the fact that they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit yet, although they had received the Holy Spirit. Yep, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yes, sir. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Anyways, here's a couple questions that, well, let me just give you this thought. I can remember, this is years ago, when I began to think about the kingdom of God. And I, I can remember one day in particular sitting in my car in the parking lot of another church where, where I had parked it because I had went with some people and did something really fun like play golf. <laughs> and they took me back to my car and I got in my car and I had been thinking the whole day and the whole weeks before about the kingdom of God. I've been th- I was just thinking about it and realizing how it just, I was like those disciples, like, you know, been a Christian for a long time, and I, I don't really think I get this kingdom of God thing. I don't really understand this. And I said, Lord, I don't understand the kingdom of God. That's what I said. I don't really understand this. I don't, I don't really get the kingdom. You know, what, what is the kingdom, Lord? And what, what, is, what would it mean if I became a real kingdom person? What, what would that mean? What does that mean? Lord, I need, to, I need you to help me with this. And so... I'm just going to share my little journey. So, a few weeks later, God didn't answer me right that moment, by the way. Have you noticed how God, a lot of times, doesn't answer you right away, or when He does answer you, is sort of unexpected? In other words, when you ask God a question, He answers your question. Sometimes it may be in the next few minutes, but you can miss the answer because lots of times it doesn't come the way you think it's going to come. Okay, so whenever you ask God a question, you need to pay attention for the answer. Because it could come in lots of ways. It could come through another person. It could come through television. It could come in a million ways. But you'll know it when it comes if you're paying attention and you're listening with your heart. You'll know that God just gave you that. So that's how I get interpretation on dreams. Because I those dreams, I, tell, I had no clue. What does that mean? That's the craziest dream ever. That can't be God. I just must be messed up having dreams like that. I don't even like going to baseball games. They're too long. You know, why would I go to the baseball game? But then I was asking the Lord about it. And a few minutes later, he gave me the interpretation. And when I heard that in my heart, I knew that was the Lord. Anyway, so I was, uh, I'm going to read this other scripture here. Are y'all following this so far? It's John 3. I'm going to read 1 through 2. I'm going to run out of time here. I done piddled around here. It says, uh, I'm going to read one through something. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's an amazing point, right? In the biblical perspective of teachers, are not just teaching information but doing signs. We have kind of went downhill, have it, in the church. You ever thought about that? That's how they thought about teachers back then. They could do something and just, instead of just say stuff. Jesus answered and said to him, 
Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, this is what I was reading this one morning. I was at the beach, and we were staying on a house that was on the canal at Ocean Isle. So there was a little dock out there, a little floating dock. So I was out there sitting there. I was reading that scripture, and when I read it, it just hit me hard because I said, Lord, here's the truth. I'm born again, Lord, but I don't think I'm seeing the kingdom of God at all. I need to be able to see the kingdom of God, Lord. Will you help me see the kingdom of God? Okay, that's what I ask. Will you help me see the kingdom of God? Now, I want to finish this, and I'll tell you how the Lord answered, because he answered that really cool. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, one time he said see, one time he says enter. It's important. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's why I just... Understanding the definition of the kingdom of God with your brain is flesh. It's not going to change your life. It's not going to transform you. It's not going to do nothing for you except give you a bit of information. Yes. It might not be a bad thing to do it, but it's not going to do nothing for you. It's not going to really serve you. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered, everybody thinks that scripture is about Jesus, but, and about, or about the, just the Holy Spirit, about the wind, but he said here, everyone born of the Spirit. Did y'all see that? This is about us. This ain't about the Holy Spirit, you know, about some. It's about us. We're blown by the wind. That's what he's saying. This, you know, this, this is the nature of being born again. This is the nature of a person who's full of the Spirit. This, is he described it right there. It's pretty powerful. And then the, Jesus asked him this question in verse 10. Oh, then he said, Nicodemus answered, how can these, how can these things be? How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? You're the teacher and you don't know these things. And he wasn't condemned. He was just trying to bring out the point that for us to really enter in and see the kingdom, it really has to come through this revelation of God. God has to reveal something to us to be able to really see the kingdom, be able to enter into the kingdom. It's not something we do just by getting teachings on it and understanding biblical principles about it, that will never get you in there. Okay, now this is really important, because that's how a lot of people approach this thing. And I think that's what I used to do, is I approached it from trying to really understand, all right, this is what the Bible says the kingdom of God is, this is where it's at, this is how it, And none of it ever got me anywhere. None, nothing ever changed in me. Nothing ever made me hungry for God. Nothing ever made me see there's something greater that's working in the world and working around me. It, it just never, I was never enlightened to anything until this day when I was reading that and asking the Lord to help me to see the kingdom. And I got up from that time and walked in the house and I get this telephone call. And it was uh, Steve Lappin. I'll never forget it. Hey, Byron, I'm going to Bob Jones's next Tuesday. You want to go with me? 
yeah, I'll see you there, or I'll be there. Remember that, Steve? I remember it very well because I knew the questions I've been asking God, God was fixing to start answering those questions. Okay? He was fixing. And this is what I realized in my life. Let me just be real with you. This is what I realized in my life. I was thinking in my life, who is the one person in my life who's influenced me the most about the kingdom of God? And it was Bob Jones. He's the one person who taught me the most about the kingdom of God. And I don't know that he ever sat down and talked to me about the kingdom of God. I never did that, but he taught me something else. Okay? That really began to help me get launched on this journey of learning how to see the kingdom, learning how to be the kingdom, how to walk in the kingdom. And I'm not saying I'm doing it perfect. I'm just saying that's what the man did for me. And so I wanted to read this one more scripture. Okay, I'm pulling all this down much, much. Are y'all all right? Y'all sitting there looking kind of kind of rough there. You tired? Y'all tired? That one hour sleep I did you in. Hey, do you know what they said? That more people have a heart attack this week, coming week, than any other time? And more people getting car wrecks because of that one hour sleep? I'm going to take them to me with China. Yeah, I'm going to take you to China and let you spend one or two weeks there and then bring you back. You're going to figure out that I want nothing to have a heart attack over. Because <laughs> when you get back and your days and nights are flipped upside down and you're like delirious, I'm telling you, that's how you feel. You know, uh, I did some stupid things like preach one time I came back from China. Like the next, I was here for two days and came back and preached. I thought, what in the world did I just say? This is pitiful. And I'm sorry for people. I won't do that no more. Anyways, this is what Jesus said. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus asking, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Matthew 18, 1 through 5. Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. He called a little child and set this child in the midst of them. Okay? This is what I figured out about Bob Jones. Now, Bob Jones is dead. I wish he wasn't, but he's dead. You know, when I meet somebody, I'm around them a little bit, I always like to like, figure out what the most, the, char- the thing about them, like this, this person, if I had to describe this person in one word, this is how I'd describe them, you know? Like, you know, Randall Worley was here a few weeks ago, how great a teacher he is, that's how a lot of people, but see, I know a different side of Randall. He's, if, how I would describe him is generous. He's one of the most generous people that I know. He, he, and that's what strikes me about him. It's not his... All the stuff he says is this generous heart that he really has. And so I have a lot of people, I sort of have to, I want to know people. I want to know them about that thing that sticks out. This is the, and Bob Jones, most people would think of Bob Jones as a prophet, or if you don't like that, you might think of him as a heretic. I, I tend to think of him not as a heretic. He definitely was a prophet. But this is the one thing how I describe him. He was the most childlike man I have ever been around in my entire life. That was, and I feel like that's the one thing that Bob Jones taught me about is being childlike. It's learning how to be childlike because he knew that was the secret to tapping in to the spiritual realm, tapping into the heavenly realm, is having a childlike heart. Now, he was very gifted, you know, but what about all of us who are not as gifted as that? How can we tap in? You know, you know another person I was saying about it's pretty, that speaks about the Father's love uh, was John Arnott. I mean, he came here a few years ago, and I got to hang around with him for a couple of days. And the thing that came with him, like, that's the most secure man I've ever been around in my life. 
they has no insecure. I could not pick up any insecurity in that man. I mean, he was just so secure in God, so secure in his own identity and what God had called him to do. It was amazing. I thought, man, I, that's what I got to be that way. You get, I've got to have that. I got to have that security like that. And well, Bob, it was like the childlike thing that Bob brought. Let me finish reading this, and I'll tell you what I got from him on that. And uh, he said, And surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom. You, you have to be childlike to really to tap into the kingdom of God and really to, to get the benefits of the kingdom and discover the kingdom. You, that's what Jesus said. This is the requirement. He didn't say there's any other requirement. He didn't say you had to understand it. He didn't say you had to study it. He didn't say any of that. He just said you've got to become like a little child. If you're going to really tap into the kingdom, you have to have this, this heart of a child. And I'm going to tell you, that man had a heart of a child. If you got around him, you'd feel it off of him. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself as a little child. It's not what you know. You know, it's not, it really is. It's not your revelation. It's not how much God's used you. It's not what you've done on this earth in God's name, with God, for God, whatever God's... It's none of that. That's not what Jesus said. That's not the thing that Jesus looks at. Jesus looks into the heart and says, Do I see a child in that heart? I'm not talking about being childish because Paul said don't be childish. There's a difference, you know, when your kid or kids are lovely and children and then they start acting all bratty and ugly. You know, and you want to smack them. That beautiful little thing. How could you act so stupid? <laughs> Stop that. You know, when one of our grandkids start disobeying or something, it, just, it always breaks my heart. Because I realize that's not you. You're precious. Why are you being a jerk? You don't have to be a jerk. Be your precious self. That's all. Don't talk back. Don't, you know, say this ridiculous stuff. And then Jesus said, Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. That powerful. That's how when a childlike person shows up. When a childlike person shows up, if you'll receive them and humble yourself. I've been around people recently that were so childlike, it was like I want to dismiss them. Like, they don't know nothing. And I caught myself saying, they're like a little child talking to me. Oh my gosh. You know. I realized right then, if I humble myself, I can get something from God right this moment. I can get the Lord. It's powerful. Well, here's some things about children I wanted to say to you right quick. Are y'all still good? That I've learned these, these things. This is what Bob, I saw these attributes in Bob Jones. This is how I got them. Is, the first one's wonder. If you ever notice how children ask a lot of questions, they wonder about a lot of things. Okay. Notice how Nicodemus asked Jesus questions. Notice how his disciples asked him questions. There's a, those were sincere questions. Now, you can ask questions in a very demeaning, rebellious, arrogant way. You can be a questioner. But if your heart is truly seeking the Lord and truly wanting to know, that's a, great, that's a part about being a child. The other day, Luke asked Becky, our grandson, Hey, Mimi, does jelly come from jellyfishes? <laughs> I thought, brilliant. Of course it does. Becky said, no. I think, yes, it does. It has to. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't have named him Jelly. That's what I wanted to say. I didn't say that. But. 
That's how I am. She told them something else. I don't know what she told them. I think it comes from fruit or something. And I think wonder really is the foundation of humility because this is what it says. You're the little person. You're the little person and you live in a big world and you don't have all the answers. That's what a humble person is going to have a lot of wonder about them, a lot of questions. They want to know things. They're hungry to know stuff. They don't know everything. They don't have all the answers. They're wondering about the answers. It's important. Someone asked me recently, it was a really great question. Hey, Byron, all that bad stuff y'all went through in the church, what did you learn? What did you learn? I, I could give a list of things I learned, but this is what I said. Well, this is what I really learned. If you really want to get to the bottom line, I learned I don't know a whole lot. That's what I learned. I don't know very much. What I thought I knew, maybe I didn't know. That's not a bad answer. That's, that's really getting down to being who you really are. And that was the way Bob Jones was. He was always wanting to know. You'd go to his house and be sitting in there with three, four, five, six, eight people. Everybody sharing their revelation. He sharing their revelation. He would look at you. Well, what about you? What's the Lord been speaking to you about? And he'd be just as interested in what God told you as he would the most famous preacher. Because I sit in this meeting with these great people that everybody would love and want to hear what they got to say. He's asking me, like, what's the Lord been? And get excited about it. Because he wanted to hear what any person's had to say. Because he had this sense of wonder and questioning. And he always took time for every person that would want to come and, and you know, engage him. He wanted to really give them something. They were important to him. Like children are. They'll give you their time of the day. The no, other thing is, that, is tr- children, you know, children are very trusting, Right? And, and because they're trusting, they'll take risk. You know, like, hey, you know, pick the baby up. I'm going to toss you up in the air. They would love that, right? Because they trust you're going to be there. And therefore, they're willing to take risk with their life. They're willing to step outside of being the norm and being something they feel like God's saying to them to do because they're trusting that God's speaking to them. They're trusting that God's going to catch them on the way down and hold them. And that's what I saw him do for years. I saw him be ridiculed and be put down and be made fun of you know, and, and be called bad names. But he didn't care because he was taking a huge risk with what he put, felt like God said to him. And what God felt and what God thought was more important than people's opinions to him. He didn't care if they thought he was just a kooky old man. He knew, he knew if you ever got around you'd find out he wasn't so kooky. Actually, he had an IQ of a genius, naturally. And let me just tell you that, he got that after he went to heaven because he said he was failing out of high school. He was so, <laughs> such a lug. And he had this encounter and went to heaven and came back and suddenly started making good grades, went into the Marine Corps, got tested, and they came back and said, you test as a genius. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You know, heaven could do some stuff to you, right? Anybody want to go to heaven and fix their brain? <laughs> That's the way I feel. I need to go to heaven. I'm just... <laughs> And the other thing is it was creative, right? If, if you got around him, you know how children are. They're always doing stuff, creative stuff. They don't, you know, we teach them not to be creative. We quench the creativity that's in them, us and iPads. Us and iPads are destroying the children of this nation. Us and iPads. You know, here, here's my thought. If you, are, if you have an iPad... 
or any kind of device that has games and stuff on it, limit your children's amount of time on it. It's great to let them play with it because it's nice, but limit it because it will eat their creativity up. It's, re it's replacement. It's replacement. Now, that's the truth. And that has been proven, by the way. I'm not just saying that's been proven by people who know stuff. I don't know anything, but I have, do have grandkids, and I'm pretty watchful when they're around me. You know, so creativity, not conformity. He, you know, that's what I, that man would not conform. You know, his conformity was, I want to conform to the Lord. That's what I want to conform to. I don't want to conform to what everybody else is doing. I want to conform to the Lord. And the last one I think is really amazing. Have you all heard this term, being fully present? In a situation, you're fully present there. In other words, if somebody comes and talks to you, you're present. That means that you are engaging them. You're not thinking about something else. You ever had a conversation with somebody, and you're asking them questions, and they already have the answers? You know, they already want to blurt their answer. They ain't listening to you. They're not fully present with you. They're somewhere else. You know, but Bob Jones was always fully present with you. When you were with him, he was right. Wouldn't you say that, Steve? He gave you attention. He focused. And that's what children do. They're right. And here's the truth about catching the kingdom. You're missing the kingdom because you're not fully present. Because the kingdom of God is at work around you all the time. And because you're distracted about whatever or wishful about something or, or whining about something, I'm telling on myself, I mean, I've done all that so much. <laughs> Believe me, I've been wishful, whining, unhappy. Why don't God do this? Why, why, why? And God's working all around me. And because I'm such a mutt, you know, I'm missing. I'm not fully present with God in the moment, and I'm missing everything God's doing, okay? And once you begin to do that, once you begin to develop these childlike qualities, you can begin to connect into the, into the kingdom of God, which the kingdom of God is spiritual, but it does manifest in the natural. You can begin to catch what God's doing. You can begin to see what God's doing. You can begin to hear the voice of the Lord a lot clearer and catch all the things that you're missing that are really important. And then at some point in time, God will begin to open up your mind to understand things, okay? And all of a sudden, you'll start having these spiritual experiences and spiritual encounters with the Lord, Okay? Y'all just looking at me. But if you want, a lot of people want spiritual experiences, spiritual encounters. To me, they're the product of something. The, the product of something. They're not the main thing. Those things begin to happen as you ch become childlike. Okay? As you become childlike, you begin to enter into the kingdom. Kingdom spiritual. And you can begin to, to, know, to start noticing things. And start seeing life from God's perspective. And then you can begin to start functioning more spiritually. Yeah, amen. I mean, that's really, I mean, if you had to boil it all down, if you had to boil it down to a how-to, the how-to is this, become like a child. That's the how-to. Become like a child. Live like a child. Study children. Listen to them. Pay attention to them. And when you do that, things begin to start being different. So I'm going to pray for you. Ryan's going to come back here, but I want to pray for you. Yeah, hey, y'all could give me a clap after, right? I'm just kidding. Seriously. You might be booing, right? Yes, Lord. The Lord's good. The Lord really does want to, you know, shore up our foundations. And to me, what I just talked to you is foundational. What could be more foundational 
than being a child? What could be more foundational than being childlike in your life? I don't, there's not much more really. So Lord, we just, we want to come to you this morning. Mm, Thank you, Lord. We want to humble ourselves to your purposes and your plans. Lord, I just ask you, Lord, to help us, Lord. Just help us to do that. Help us, Lord, to become childlike in our hearts. Help us to begin to see and hear and catch glimpses of what you're doing. When bad things happen around us, Lord, somehow help us to see what you're saying, your perspective on it, and not just get consumed by the bad and be tore down. Hey, anybody suffering with anxiety right now? Raise your hand. I'll pray for you right quick. Anybody? Just raise your hand. Anxiety. Boy, that's a tough one, man. The Bible says anxiety in the heart of man weighs it down. It weighs your heart down. It's a weight upon you. It's a weight upon you. Trust me, I know about it. I've had anxiety big time where everything made me anxious. Everything I had to do made me feel anxious. Anything. Anything, any job, any task I had in front of me, it made me feel anxious. When you start feeling that way, then your heart's weighed down. Lord, I just pray for all those who lifted their hands. Lord, we're just asking you this morning for deliverance from anxiety, Lord. That you'd break that thing. Lord, you gave us a prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. With thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ. Lord, I just pray for all these people that they begin today to, to think, be intentional about being thankful. And be intentional about bringing those things they're anxious about to you. I just ask you to do that, Lord, and break them that, that spirit of anxiety out of their life, Lord. And they get free, they get peaceful, Lord, they get full of joy, full of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit today, Lord. They begin to see life different, Lord. They begin to humble themselves, Lord, in what you said to do, Lord, and we'll, we'll prosper. I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Byron. Well, we're glad you're here today. Y'all doing all right? I'm picking up a bad habit. Bless you today. Have a great week. We're going to invite our ministry team to come up. If you need prayer for healing, if you need prayer for anything, come on up and get some. To the rest of you, you can be dismissed. Bless you. Have a great week. Go in grace and peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen? All right, y'all have a great week.